Hail Nor, and welcome to a special episode of the New Outriders podcast. I am your host, Hallow Lan. Uh, with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Lady Roxanne. How are you doing, Roxy? I'm great. We're right in the middle of a death storm, so if you lose me, that's why. All right, and Lord Lessarian, how are you doing, Lass? Uh, doing great, guys. Thanks. Did you get all shuffled out? I <laughs> yeah, after uh, a, a pretty... Pretty long, hard slog there. We we finally uh, unearthed the the world from the, the amount of snow that we got. All right, and our very special guest tonight. Um, I'm not going to list off his whole CV here, but uh, suffice it to say, he was the, the one of the founders of Mythic Entertainment, founder of City State Entertainment. Uh, Mark Jacobs, thank you for coming, Mark. Oh, thanks for having me, Bill. All right. Uh, one of the, the things I learned about you while researching for this, um, after you said yes, you would come on, which was shocking enough in and of itself, is that you founded Adventures Unlimited Software in 1983 while you were in law school. Is that correct? <laughs> Hard to believe, uh, but yeah. Wow. Didn't, didn't have enough to do at law school there, Mark? I'm sorry? Didn't quite have enough to do at law school there? Yeah, that was kind of the joke. I mean, you know, here I am in law school, and uh, and certainly a very good one, Georgetown. And I guess I was bored, so I thought, hey, what the heck? You know, <laughs> let's start a game company. Why not? How did your parents feel about that? Boy, let's see. Uh, scorn, ridicule, um, shock, or uh, you're going to do what? Yeah, pretty much that. Now, Adventures Unlimited, as I understand it, and, you know, this was, I'm going to say, I don't want to make anybody feel old, you know, the three of you, but this was really before my time. Uh, You focused, (laughs) you you mainly made MUDs, uh, multi-user dungeons, which were dial-in online games before online was was a thing. I mean, what attracted you in that direction? I mean... I mean, the internet is, you know, as far as most people are concerned, the World Wide Web wasn't there. So, you know, what, yeah, what drove you in that direction? Revenge. I mean, honestly, that's what it was. Um, what had happened, how it happened, was I um, was I had a. It's so strange. I mean, you know, nobody believes the story except the people who were there, which was really my girlfriend and my roommate at the time, or one of my roommates at the time. Um, I had a dream. Okay, go to bed, have this really weird dream about finding this game on a local BBS, because that's, you know, that's where we really started, or I really started doing online games, uh, you know, once I got out of college, at least. And, you know, it was just weird. And so during the dream, the game looks really cool, and, you know, I end up in the dream trying to talk to the people who created it, and they tell me to fuck off. And I'm like... Okay, that's a weird dream. The next day, and I, and this is so true and it's so bizarre. The next day I am, you know, just doing the BBS search, you know, trying to find something, you know, good to play. And I run into this game, find this game called the Scepter of Goth. And the Scepter of Goth was either the first or the second pay to play MUD in existence. Because it was really either them or MUD 1 done by, you know, uh, Richard Bottle. Um, for, you know, who actually coded their game first. 
So I went on the game, played it for a little bit, really liked it. I'm like, okay, this is really weird, you know. But okay, I BBS and, you know, I'm going to find something anyway. So I'm playing the game for a while, and I think it was at that time either $30 a month or $40. It was something that gamers today would look like, look at and go, what are you, insane to charge that? Yet 30 years ago, approximately, uh, they were. And so played it, and then they sent a message out that they were going to start a new system, a new gaming system called Protocol, and they were looking for programmers. So I sent in my resume, and then I never heard from them. And I didn't hear from them for another week, and then another week. And I catch one of the, um, you know, GMs online and, you know, send a kind of sarcastic message uh, quoting the lyrics from 1776, actually which shows you just how wide and geeky my interests, you know, go. Um, And, you know, she said, uh, well, yeah, we got your resume, uh, but we thought you'd want too much money, so thank you very much. And I'm like, you know, I would kind of work for you for free, uh, but, you know, they still said, no, not interested. Okay, fine. So I still continue to pay to play their game. Then a few months later, uh, they say, well, we're closing this game. And how it worked, Bill, was uh, they had, first they tried to franchise these. You would, you know, essentially you, uh, or they would sell these servers, what we consider PCs now, but they would call them servers, with the game on it. You would buy modems, and you would, you know, have people dial in and pay. So they said they needed the hardware uh, for protocol. And, you know, that was it. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. And I was like, now, wait a second, what are you going to do about my characters? You know, total geek. And they were like, well, we're not going to do anything. I said, what do you mean you're not going to do anything? I've been on this service now for quite a while, spent a lot of money. I've got these really, you know, established characters, and there's all these other people on the server. You know, why don't you just do something for us? And they're like, no. I'm like, come on, why not? Well, it's too hard. I said, it's not too hard. I'm building, in the meantime, to make some money on the side, I'm building PCs with a friend of mine. So it's like, no, it's not too hard, and I'll even come over and do it for you if you want. They're like, nope, sorry. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create my own system, and I'm going to create my own games, and I'm going to put you guys out of business. And they were like, ha-ha, we've heard that before. And I said, well, but not from me. So canceled my account, obviously, right away. Uh, went out and bought uh, a WISE, what used to be called a WISE, W-Y-S-E, uh, PC. Uh, got a copy of the QNIX operating system. And six months later, I had two games up and running. Uh, my service was called Gamers World. And it had a game called Galaxy. And my first MUD called Aridath. And I undercut them price-wise. And six months later, every one of their local services, because uh, they had, I think it was two in Maryland and one in D.C., uh, they had all closed because my game was better. And for the next, oh, year or so, I think, I ran that service before uh, eventually I got onto Genie. But that's how I got into doing online games. That is an excellent revenge story. Um, and every absolutely. word of it is true. Every single word. It was, you know, definitely a lot of fun, a lot of work. Um, but obviously it was worth it at the end. Well, and I know how 
kind of how you feel when, you know, a game shuts down, you know, you say, you know, it's very geeky what's going to happen to my characters, but several tens of thousands of people just asked that to NCSoft and Paragon Studios when they shut down City of Heroes last year. That's correct. Um, you know. It's tough. You, know, you spend all those years or, you know, some case, yeah, in some cases you spend years with these characters playing this game and then they, they pull the plug out from under you. Exactly. And it's, it's a, you know, look, it's been a problem forever. It's a, something I've talked about and my lawyer and I, I think, uh, put up one article about it at one point uh, about the implications of selling items on the ability to shut down a, you know, a gaming service. I mean, obviously in the Euler, uh, we are allowed to do that. But, boy, it's troubling, you know, when you have people spending a lot of money and then you decide to shut it down, you know, especially if there's no really good reason for it uh, other than, yeah, we just want to shut it down. Wow, that's uh, that's really amazing. I Before I was talking to um, Bill today, I didn't realize that you had been in the gaming world for so long. Um, I know personally – my experience with gaming started back in about 92, and I played a couple of MUDs and, uh, through a service called, um, the Sierra Network. Sure, of course. I don't, okay. No yeah, works. so, yeah, and, uh, actually that's where our guild got started was on the Sierra, Sierra Network, uh, back in the day. So it's interesting to, to hear you talk about, you know, starting your business during this time period. You know, I just wish I had known about you back then. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Probably, you know, your your biggest game at <laughs> Adventures Unlimited was Dragon's Gate, which you launched in 1990, you know, on, I believe it started on Genie, and then it moved to AOL, and then uh, Mythic hosted it. You know, that game ran for 17 years. That's pretty amazing. I mean that's I mean that's that's a that's an impressive legacy. No, thank you. It was a great game. I mean it was a lot of fun for a mud. We did some things that heavily influenced uh the you know, really the first generation of MMOs. Uh I'm the guy who came up with the PvP switch, if you remember that from EverQuest. Uh Dragon's Gate had a PvP switch. It was actually a PvP game. Um so I think I can say my credentials for RVR and PB, PVP go way back. Um, but if you look at the games of that era, the MUDs, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, Richard's MUD 1 or Gemstone uh, by Simutronics or certainly uh, Dragon's Gate, um, a lot of the people who ended up making some of the first games either played our games, like Richard Vogel uh, actually uh, was a D-Gate guy, and, you know, others uh, can trace back their interest to games, you know, such as those. Certainly. And then in mid-90s, uh, your company and Rob Denton's company, Interworld Productions, you, you had a bit of a merger and became Mythic. And that led to, uh, you, made, you made some games before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip ahead to Dark Age a little bit just because I think that is one of the, in my opinion, one of the landmark releases in, in MMO history. Um, well, thank you. The, the the three realm PvP and the fact that each realm played differently was was I think ahead of its time and the way you know certain features were I think you could do a, a relic raid in the early game and there were more players on the screen than I think any PC at the time could could reasonably handle and I I don't know about anybody else but I never had a problem with it I thought it was just 
uh, Beautiful Chaos. That was just, I think, just a landmark game. I had come to that game from EverQuest, uh, which I actually detested. I thought it was just boring and monotonous. And I came to Dark Age, and it was just this this wholly different thing. It actually got me interested in uh, some of the, the mythology of the different cultures in Europe. And, as uh, my wife made sure I have to say on this podcast, it almost broke up what became our marriage. <laughs> in the, in the, the three years that I played Dark Age of Camelot, you know, when I quit, I did a slash played on all my characters and added up the time on all of them. I'm almost embarrassed to say what it was, but in three years of real time, I put six months of time into that game. Of wow. real time. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a severe addiction. Holy so. cow. <laughs> I would have divorced you. <laughs> yes, and, you know, she probably should have, but she didn't. <laughs> now we're still together, so no more addictions like that. But, you know, how did you, 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 Dark Age of Camelot, how did you come into that? What made you guys think that you could pull off, you know, three-faction PvP, you know, open warfare in the way that you did? Well, that's a, hopefully not too long of a story. So... Mythic around 1999 was close to going out of business. EA, it's amazing how EA has influenced my life. Um, EA had bought AOL game, uh, AOL's game channel. And we had a number of games that were on there and about to go on there when EA bought them and said, yeah, pretty much all online games that are on here are crap. They're not up to the EA standard. So we're going to shut down almost all the games. Uh, now we were lucky. I was able to talk them into doing one, keeping one of our games, but you know it had to be reskinned and add a few features. But it was looking pre- pretty bleak for us. You know, we had lost uh, our income stream, and you know I've got a small company of people who are trying to figure out. Oh my God, what are we going to do now? Um, you know, because I'd always been able to make deals before. You know, I made deals with Kesmai, I made deals with Engage, I made deals with AOL, you know, etc. And, you know, the clock was ticking. And a number of years before, I tried to convince, um, you know, Kesmai, who I, I know the founders incredibly well, they're great guys, used to do Christmases at one of their houses. I tried to convince them to take their game, Islands of Kesmai, and turn it into a 3D game. And this was before EverQuest. And they didn't like the idea. Much now, if you ask them, to their chagrin. Uh, because if they had said yes, we would have come out with a 3D, you know, um, mud. Because that's what, you know, those games were. You know, morgues or muds, they're still muds. Uh, before EverQuest. So, you know, here we are. And I mean, literally, months from being shut down. Um, we had a buyout offer from a claim, uh, which was pretty low. And my partner, in the way he always did, was take the offer. Pretty much uh, any time we got an offer, Rob uh, would want to take it, no matter what, truly, no matter what it was. And I understand that. I mean, you know, we were both struggling. You know, we really didn't have any money. He left a, a great job at Orbital Sciences uh, to do games. Uh, I turned down, obviously, what probably would have been a lucrative career in the law uh, or to work in government, um, you know, to make games as well. So I understood it. It wasn't like he was a bad guy. He wasn't. You know, great programmer, and for most of the time, we worked well together. Um, and I hated the offer. 
I didn't trust these guys. It's not that I didn't like them. I just didn't trust them. You know, I knew a claim really well from their, you know, history in the industry. And I thought that we were going to end up not making the games that we wanted to make in order to make the games that they wanted us to make. And that's what I mean by trust. I mean, you know, because you can say anything you want about, yes, you know, you'll be able to make these games. And, you know, I didn't want to take the deal. And it was not a ton of money, but a lot of money, especially when you have nothing. And so I um, contacted a company called Abandon Entertainment up in New York. And I knew one of the founders really well, and the other one happened to be my sister. And I kind of knew her pretty well, too. Uh, so I said to them, hey, look, I think this is a bad deal. Can you run it by a good friend of ours who was, uh, you know, big money guy in New York? Can you run it by him? I think there's something, you know, wrong here. And, you know, they agreed, and they actually came down to talk to Rob. Because Rob was like, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this offer. And I'm like, well, I'm not. I think it's a bad offer. And, you know, when this guy Marcus came down and spoke to him, he did, you know, to help talk Rob out of it, which was great. Um, I then proceeded to talk abandon uh, into buying a third of our company and funding a game. And... That game, of course, turned out to be Dark Age of Camelot. Now, what inspired me to make the game was we were looking at games that we could do just like we wanted to do with Kesmai. And, you know, we had an idea first for a space game and or a sci-fi game, and that wasn't the best idea. Then we had another idea to take Darkness Falls, which was another of our games, and turn that into a, an MMO. And that was good because it was hard, be kind of cool. But I really worried that it would be incredibly niche. And I wanted a brand. I wanted to find something that could define us, that had the possibility of being really big. And, you know, my expertise is as a, you know, you don't want to say just a game designer because that says too much and too little at the same time. Because I'm not a great, I'm not a great, numbers guy, unless I have to be. You know, some people are really good with numbers, right? Very good with spreadsheets. And I do it. I mean, I've done all the levels for Oz. But it's not what I love. What I love is the bigger picture stuff, the ideas, the lore, um, you know, the systems, without worrying about, hey, should this sword do 3D6, you know, or 2D10? And it just, it's not what I, I really uh, love. So I spent a lot of time thinking, okay, what else could we do? And I don't know about anyone on this call, but I tend to get a lot of good ideas either when I'm asleep or in the shower. You know, I'll wake up in the middle of the other night, go, oh, my God, I got it, and I'll write it down. That's what I need to do. I need to start writing those down. Yeah, I, I, I literally keep a pad of paper, you know, by my bed especially when I was programming, like I did for, you know, Dragon's Gate and Aradeth, because that's how I would, you know, fix bugs, um, you know, things that were driving me nuts. I'd just wake up with the solution and write it down. And so I'm in the shower, and I'm trying to figure out what the heck, you know, would be good. And so I start going through all the different mythologies that I know, and because I, I was, you know, a voracious reader. And all of a sudden, I think Camelot. And I'm like, oh, my God, a total Simpsons, you know, moment. 
and then all of a sudden it starts coming out. Okay, so this is how it's going to do. You know, how we're going to do it. Blah, 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 blah. So the three-side thing actually came from Kesmai's Air Warrior. Kesmai, way back in the day, had the first graphical flight sim that you could play online. Now, by today's standards, the graphics were non-existent. But, again, back in the day, everyone was incredibly impressed with it, including me. And I played it a lot. And they had three sides. Country A, Country B, and Country C. So, no story, no law, no restrictions. You could fly any World War II plane that they had for any side. And night after night, I saw people forming attachments to their squadrons, forming attachments to their countries. Again, Country A. Nothing there but a letter. Country B. And these guys were, you know, getting all up about, hey, this is our squad and this is our country. And only guys who like to boom and zoom, they go to this country. And the guys who like to do this, they go to that country. And I'm like, all right, let's combine the two. Let's take Camelot, set it after Arthur's death, because there hasn't been a lot about that, and use three-sided combat. And that's where it came from. And it's... You know, it's something you can you can see um, is still is still popular in the in the gaming world today. Obviously, uh, Guild Wars Two launched last year, and that's I mean they've only got one side, but they do three servers against each other. So in that way, it would be more like you know your your Air Warrior example because the, each side's got access to the same things, but they combine three servers into the into the massive battlegrounds, and then obviously upcoming from. Uh, Bethesda Cinemax Online is Elder Scrolls Online, uh, which is another three-faction realm versus realm combat game. Who is obviously the creative director on that is a colleague of yours from Mythic, Matt Firor. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You know, you, when you look at three-faction combat or three-realm combat or whatever you know term you want to use, one of the things that the Kesmai guys told me when we were talking about the concept was, you know, based on what they had seen and you know, obviously as a player, because I was played it all the time, huge, I love that game, um, that teams would self-select, you know, people would self-select, excuse me, um, that if two sides were, you know, badly outnumbered by one, they would work together. Or one side would take advantage of the other two sides fighting uh, to go and exploit the weaknesses of one of those other teams, like bombing its fields. Um, and I thought it was brilliant, you know, and they talked about it with me. Yeah, this is what we've seen. This is the kind of behavior, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, huge inspiration. Uh, I am always surprised, uh, that frankly, not more companies, uh, haven't used it, you know, for these kind of games. And, well, I guess I'm going to do it again, hopefully. And I actually have a, a great example of that from Dark Age. I was still too low level on one of my alts to brave the the full the realm versus realm. So I was doing one of the the instance battlegrounds for I think it was level twenty five or so, and it was all Hibernia, which was our faction, and Albion. There was only one Midgard player in there, from what we could tell. And I was sitting. I don't remember why I was sitting. Sitting was a bad thing to do in Dark Age of Camelot because you took double, double damage. Um, but I was sitting, and he was the only Midgard player in there, so he sat next to me rather than attacking me. Um, I think he was a, the Shadow Blade class, the the kind that could kill you instantly. Um, he just sat next to me, 
And, you know, we made a couple, like, wave emotes at each other and, you know, decided, okay, you know, non-verbally, we're not going to kill each other. I convinced the rest of Ibernia not to kill this guy, and we teamed up against the, the Albion side and, you know, took the keep, won the, you know, the practice battleground, and, yeah, we we allied against a tougher opponent, and, you know, that was actually... I still remember that. That was, you know, just a one-off thing that I, yeah, we self-selected into into teams. We banded together against the, the stronger foe. It was actually a lot of fun. Exactly. Now, mind, I will, mind if I ask you a, a question? No, go ahead, James. Um, you're okay. So now you've you've got your your inspiration, your idea for for what was to become Dark Age of Camelot. Did you were you the only person you needed to convince, or did you have a, a set of people you needed to sit down and, and do a little arm twisting on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So let me tell you how much arm twisting there was. <laughs> so, I, you know, I my stop was Rob. And Rob hated it. He hated the idea. He was like, no, we should do Darkness Falls. That was a better idea. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, here's why. And I explained it all to him. And I just kept nagging at him. You know, but look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And here's, you know, the advantage of using the Camelot name, and here's how we can protect it and make it a brand, and et cetera, et cetera. So finally he said, okay, Mark, you know, I'm not going to argue anymore. If you can convince the rest of the studio to do the game, we'll do the game. And, you know, I was like, seriously, I'm the CEO, I own the majority of stock, but fine, I will convince. So I did. I went from person to person to talk them all into it. Um, and they did, you know, uh, they saw the advantage of it, you know, and then, well, I can be pretty convincing at times. Uh, and after lots of talk and lots of sharing, um, everyone was on board. And that's really all there was to that story. So then, is Darkness Falls the inspiration for the the super dungeon of Dark Age of Camelot with the same name. Yep. That that dungeon was just a an excellent bit of gameplay. Um, I don't remember the requirements for which realm could get in, but only one realm could get in at a time. And if your realm lost it while you were down there, that meant you had about ten minutes before <laughs> just a flood of the other factions would come running in after you. Oh, and if, yeah. if you were the right classes or you were good at hiding, that could lead to some fun ganking when they all ran past you and forgot to look behind them. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was... Yeah, oh, I love that game. Oh. That, yeah, Darkness Falls. That was pretty awesome. Now, you mentioned in one of your City State blog posts that Dark Ages' peak subscriber numbers were about 250,000. That is correct. Which in the days before World of Warcraft, would have to be considered a huge success. It was. I yes. mean, number one was EverQuest at 450. And then there was us and UO. UO yep. peaked a bit before us, obviously, you know, coming out when it did in 97. Yeah. Um, and by the time we came around, uh, we were number two. Number one was EQ. Number two was uh, us. Number three, I think... Might have been Ultima Skill or Asheron's, but that was it. And, you know, then World of Warcraft came out and completely redefined what success was, um, in the eyes of publishers anyway, for an MMO. Um, Oh, my God, yeah. Obviously, I mean, it's still pulling in nine and a half million, you know, from a peak of around 12. So 
that 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 completely changed the world um, as far as MMOs go. You guys I think they fudged their numbers just between you know? I the, think. Well, I'd like to know how many of them are in North America, but beyond that, you know, I, I think there's a huge number in China. They do very well there, and you know, the numbers, the subscriber numbers are worldwide. So, but it's still it's a huge number. You guys moved on from Dark Age to uh, Warhammer Online. Um, unfortunately, that's a game I didn't play, so I can't really speak speak too much of it. Um, but that I one, love that game. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And then, you know, Mythic sold the Electronic Arts. I think you have it listed on your website as uh, you sold your soul for shiny beads. Was that was that a tough decision to make? I mean. You know, Electronic Arts has done some very good things in the the world of gaming, but they've also got a, a pretty poor reputation in some quarters. So we had talked to EA, obviously, since the 90s, you know, when all the trouble started with AOL. So I knew <coughs> a bunch of guys at EA over the years. And John Riccatello even made an offer to buy us in his first term at EA, you know, before he left to form, uh, you know, work with uh, the VGH guys. Um, and, you know, we had, we had kept in touch with each other, not me and John, but EA and us over the years. Um, in 2003, we took some financing and it really wasn't financing. It's, it's a shareholder liquidity deal from a company called TA Associates. And, you know, TA is one of those companies who will buy stock of an existing company and then either take the company public or, build up the company, and then sell it. You know, sort of like people were doing with private shares of Facebook before they were, before Facebook went public, all that. TA is very good at that. Now, they had bought into us before WoW. And when we were making our games, whether it was Camelot or, you know, then Imperator, we had a certain budget in mind, of, you know, for an MMO. It wasn't as little as Camelot was, but it certainly wasn't WoW level. And after WoW came out and had those huge numbers and that huge spend on the game, TA, not surprisingly, looked at the market and went, whoops, things have changed, uh, which is true. Because, you know, when we were budgeting Imperator, it was going to be a $10 million game, which by the day's standards was just fine. Then Blizzard comes out with a game which, you know, depending on who you believe, was anywhere from 60 to $100 million all in. And... Well, they wanted us to sell the company more now uh, because, you know, the financials, which we had, which were fabulous, wouldn't have allowed us to fund a $60 million game. You know, we were making a very nice profit off a very nice subscriber revenue, but not that kind of money. You know, not $100 million, certainly. So the pressure was on to sell the company. Uh, so I spent, unfortunately, uh, a lot of my time uh, in 2005, and some even in four, uh, being the M&A guy, being the biz guy, you know, trying to sell the company, uh, which is not something I enjoyed, not one bit. I didn't want to sell Mythic. They know I didn't want to sell Mythic, especially then, but they have every right to ask for it, you know. Just as I won't throw EA under the bus because I took their money, uh, I can't throw those guys under the bus. They were good guys. I like them. I'd work with them again, but the market changed. So, you know, we're coming in now to 2000, and uh, this would have been early 5, 
And they decide to hire that we're going to hire Bank of America to take us out and do road shows to try to sell the company. So we're going from show to show, talking to people, and I'm certainly getting more miserable uh, as the months go on because I don't want to do it. I really don't. But when your major investor says they want to want you to sell it and your partner, as always, wants to sell it, you know, you're kind of SOL, you know, because I really had two choices. I could quit or I could just do what I needed to do. Um, and so I'm going and doing the road shows and stuff. And, you know, we spent months going back and forth with EA because it, <laughs> it was a lot of fun uh, and stressful at the same time because they would walk away or I would walk away or they would walk away, but always very nicely. You know, always with the, hey, thanks, the deal's not for us right now, but, you know, you guys were great. And, you know, this is going, just going on and on and on, and I'm putting on weight and just, you know, getting more miserable, really, as the days progress. And, you know, then EA uh, comes in with, a you know, a really good offer. And it was. It certainly was a very good offer. And I look at the offer, and, of course, TA wants to sell. Rob is first in line to sell. Uh, our other major investor, Abandon, you know, they kind of want to sell too, but they'll stick with me if I really, you know, need to. And we're almost done. We almost have a deal. There were three points that I needed, and these were protections for my team. It was that they couldn't move the company uh, within three years. Uh, give us enough time to get Warhammer out. And if Warhammer came out and was a success, of course they wouldn't move us. Uh, if Warhammer wasn't a success, well, then we messed up, right? Uh, and then there was another point to keep our customer service with Mythic and, uh, you know, one more point regarding to uh, uh, how the shares were going to be distributed to our people or sold by our people. And, you know, they were like, um, no, we can't give, you can't, we can't give you this. So I said, okay. And that was it. They walked away. So at this point, my investors are furious. Rob is furious. Um, you know, how could I walk away with from so much money? And I told him. It's like, it was easy. You know, I'm going to protect my people. And, you know, the money was right. It certainly was a good offer. But I'm not going to sell these guys down the river. And, you know, so that led to some arguments. And, you know, I finally said to them, I said, look, Here's what's going to happen. TA, I mean, sorry, EA is going to come back to us. They've come back to us every other time. They will come back to us again. We did this very professionally. You know, I like the guys at EA, the guys I spoke to, you know, uh, Paul Lee, who was president of Worldwide Studios at that time, Bing Gordon, who I adore, you know, and Larry Probst, who was the CEO, who I also like very much. And, you know, they're getting restless, TA and Rob. And I say, look, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get further along with this game. And once we do, you know, it was Warhammer, they are going to come, you know, they're going to get back to us because they're going to want to buy us and they're going to want to buy us for more. And they were really nervous, but they said, fine. All right. You know, you got to promise us. I said, yeah, of course, they will come back. So I'm in England right now and, you know, taking a vacation at the same time working with Games Workshop. And... <laughs> The day I get there, I get a message from, you know, these guys going, hey, you know, I'm glad we worked it out, and we're going to reopen discussions with EA, but we're going to do it back channel. I blew a gasket. 
I mean, truly, blew an absolute gasket. Here I am, jet lag. My son had migraines from the trip. It was the first time he had flown uh, overseas. And, you know, people were going back on their word. So actually, I sent them a letter saying I quit. And I meant it. I'm like, okay, fine, I'm done. Sell the company. Good luck. See if they'll buy it without me. And that led to more discussions and some begging and pleading. Don't quit. Of course they won't buy it without you. Yes, I know that. They made that clear already. So I said, look, let's make a deal. Wait till E3. Wait till we show our game again. EA will come back. And if they don't come back, I will go to EA and agree to whatever they want to make a deal. Just give me the, give me and the team this much time. And so they said, okay, that was fine. And I did make them swear up and down that they wouldn't do anything, you know, back channel, and they wouldn't bug me. They wouldn't, you know, try to do anything. So we get T3, and, you know, we win these awards, and Blizzard comes to see us, and other people come to see us. And I get a call, you know, from Paul, going, okay, Mark, what do we need to do to put this deal back on the table? I'm like, well, you can up your offer by 25% and give me the three things that I wanted. And they said, couldn't do it. I said, okay, no deal. And they went, well, no, no, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean we can't do it? You just got to give me something. So I gave them a little bit off the price. They kept the three things. We made a deal. And to EA's credit, you know, no matter what people say about them, they honored their agreement with me. You know, they, they stuck to the letter of the contract and the spirit of the contract that I had with them. And, you know, whatever our differences, and obviously there were differences, otherwise I'd still be at EA. Um, they were as good as their word, and I respect that. So, that was it. Wow. That was a very good explanation. That's well, not, so that's more insider information than I think we'd get on most, most yeah, deals. I say so. Um, you know, well, I think you know, that's refreshing, too, on EA's part, you know, that they did honor that with you, you know. They, they absolutely did, Roxanne. Uh, they never, you know, went back on their word with me. And I respect that. You know, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. Humans aren't perfect. Uh, but what I can say about EA is that when it came to that agreement, they did honor it. And so, you know, they'll get credit for that from me, always. No matter, again, no matter what our other differences were. Uh, we did agree uh, to an agreement. And I thought when I was there, I had to you know, followed through to the letter, and they thought the same, and, well, they did, and I did. No, I think it's it's important to, to note that by the time you sold the EA, um, Acclaim, who had made the previous offer, was out of business for a couple of years. That's correct. Um, this is a good thing you didn't go with that one. Um, well, <laughs> if you looked at all the people that made us offers, most of them are out of business, so yes. Some are still in business, you know, and doing very well, uh, which is great. But a whole bunch of the offers that, you know, uh, we got were from companies that, you know, unfortunately for them are defunct. So we certainly made the right call in terms of uh, taking EA's money versus some of the other companies. But others that, you know, are still doing well, you know, like Ubisoft and uh, even Bethesda. 